You're listening to the Hybrid Cloud Podcast. Hi, this is Chris Evans. I'm recording another Hybrid Cloud Podcast, and today I'm with Dan from CodeFresh. Hi, Dan. Hello. How are you doing? Great. Loving my uh, work from home. Excellent. Yes. I think we're all in that same lovely situation of having to adjust to technology at home and different working environments. It's all part of the fun, I guess, of having to cope with a lockdown. So would you just like to take a second and just introduce yourself and the company, and then you know we'll get straight into the conversation? So I'm Dan Garfield, and I'm the Chief Technology Evangelist for CodeFresh. So my background is kind of full stack engineering and then very heavily into Kubernetes and focused a lot on this whole cloud native tool set and containers and those sorts of things. And the company is CodeFresh and we are a CI CD platform designed for cloud native applications designed for working with Kubernetes and containers and those kinds of things. We certainly have a lot of people that do legacy stuff with us, but we really, beyond just taking advantage of kind of cloud native technologies, we wanted to enable our customers to do the same thing. So, you know, we've got built-in steps for working with doing deployments and canary releases and blue-green deployments and things like that. We also have some really wild debugging capabilities that don't exist anywhere else. So you can actually set breakpoints on a pipeline and step through it just like you would in an IDE. It's, but the topic today, I guess, is really around hybrid. And this is actually something that we've been working really heavily on for the last few years. Okay, that's fantastic. So let's start by setting the scene and talking about CICD and pipelines and just app, app development in general and how that's changed over the last, from my experience, probably the last 10 years, I would say. We've certainly seen the introduction of microservices, containers, Docker, Kubernetes. I do get a feeling that that has been a, a big influence in how developers have changed the way they want to write code and actually roll that code out. How do you see it? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, when I started writing software, I would write changes and I would put it in a zip file and email it to our head of IT to actually deploy onto the server, right? So obviously that's not super scalable. And of course we've moved on, we got version control, but even with version control, the CI process is largely something that developers were concerned with. And once it came time to deploy, it was still about hand rolling these deployments and figuring out how to manage those. So that's changed pretty dramatically thanks to Kubernetes and containers. You have immutability, you've got idempotent infrastructure and infrastructure as code and those kinds of things. That really changes it so that you can actually describe the whole application from the ground up from the very beginning. So you have this squashing of worlds that I think was the reason that DevOps was created in earnest. And now you have the sort of infrastructure code exposed to the software developers earlier. And at the same time, as you move to a microservice-based architecture, you have a much more complex demand on the testing because it's not spinning up the integrated version of your application and then seeing how that goes. It's, hang on, we've got 150 microservices. How do I actually test this thing in a reasonable way? So that's a lot of the movement and kind of the rise in CICD that you've seen in the last few years has been, okay, well, if I can do everything as code and my infrastructure is more complex, then I better automate it. If I can automate this release and delivery cycle and I can get into that releasing more often, that's definitely going to be really valuable. And the other component is that 
you now have to support a wider variety of infrastructure. And and actually, this whole lockdown thing even highlights it, this on-prem versus cloud. And I'm seeing that people are looking at cloud services and thinking, well, you know, they provide a scalability that I really appreciate, but at the same time, I need a certain level of reliability that I can control. So I need to have some on-prem components that are kind of the backbone, and then I need these scalable cloud components. I need failover between these things. I've got large teams working on different networks, different virtual networks and different virtual private networks and things like that. How do I span these different areas? How do I get everybody working on the same page? I think the big problem is you just have a certain level of complexity that you're trying to squash and deal with in an automated way, right? Interestingly, from my perspective, I'm slightly embarrassed to admit it. The first programming language I learned commercially was COBOL, which seems to have got a big demand at the moment. Not that I could go back and write anything in COBOL, (laughs) to be honest. Um, It's a long time ago. But what you're highlighting there is some very interesting developments. And that's the fact that, you know, as we've moved from that monolithic type application development where you ship the, the code to your boss with a zip file, now we're diversifying that, splitting it up. We're allowing developers to build their own environments almost entirely, replicating the entire environment, which could be hundreds of microservices. The complexity is very high there. And I think there are some other challenges that stand out to me when you talk about hybrid, and that's around things like security and auditing, because you could be rolling out very many different platforms with different constructs to make those things work. Yeah. And actually the sprawl is its own security problem. From a security perspective, we think, okay, well, I want to lock down this network and I'm going to have it allocated with its own resources and we're not going to have things coming into it. And so it's secure in that way. But at the same time, what I find very commonly happens in large companies is they end up with hundreds or thousands of these little hubs, if you will, and they have to replicate all of the application development stack in each of those hubs. And so you end up with, you know, for example, literally thousands of Jenkins instances that are all versions and versions behind, right? Because now it's, well, oh gosh, I got to support this application development infrastructure and I have to support it across these hundreds or thousands of different networks and nodes. And then you end up with all of these very out of date with zero day vulnerabilities running on all these instances. And that's no joke. Back when we still had conferences, I was at KubeCon and there was a security person from a Fortune 5 company, let's say, who got up and they said, yeah, the number one reason that we get owned is because of the number of just Jenkins instances that we have running in all of these different various networks that are all running unpatched and vulnerable and keeping them up to date is a nightmare and keeping everybody working on the same thing is difficult. So that's actually one of the big problems that we've been trying to tackle is, okay, well, you've got all these different networks, you've got all these different instances. What's the scalable version of that? What's like the modern version of that? How do we do that in such a way that we can actually have these different networks, but we can also treat it in a global way where we get the advantages of having these virtual private networks without all the downsides? So that's where the CodeFresh Runner was born. So we actually created this component called the CodeFresh Runner. And What you can do is you can actually install the CodeFresh runner on these different infrastructures, but it acts as if it's part of a single control plane. You don't have to open up the firewall ports, incoming firewall ports or anything like that. 
but they still act like they're part of the same control plane. You can manage and update them all from a single location so that you can have potentially thousands of these runners. And there are a ton of different use cases for this, right? But you can basically have all these different runners going and they can access the resources they need. They can do the builds that they need to do. They can do the deployments they need to do. All the code stays in the runner, right? It doesn't go external, but you can also treat them as a single control plane, a single network so that you're not getting that sprawl problem. Let's talk about your technology then and your platform in a bit more detail and help people understand what it really is. So exactly what is it you're giving customers? How do they use it? And what are the deployment models? You know, is this a SaaS offering? Is it on-prem? Is it a mixture of both? How does it fit into a hybrid environment? So we are a CI/CD platform, right? You want to automate your testing. You want to automate your builds. You want to automate your deployment. So we built a platform to do that. And differences, if a lot of people coming from like a Jenkins or a CircleCI or something like that or a GitLab, CodeFresh takes a different tack where every step is container-based. Even if you want to work with VMs, you actually use a container-based steps to work do that, which you have a lot of customers that do that kind of thing. But basically building a pipeline is like working with Lego bricks rather than writing shared libraries that potentially get conflicts and are hard to update or plugins that are hard to update. You basically are working with a collection of Docker images and you can version those independently. You can run several versions of the same step in a single pipeline without any conflicts, right? And we've done all this work to manage the volumes and the cachings even across networks so that you can actually get the flexibility without taking a performance hit, which is something that you normally have to deal with. So that's the basic outline of what we are. And really, we're an end-to-end solution. So we've got CD components. You can have a dashboard. It shows you all of your deployed elements. You can do rollbacks, even from the UI or from the code just a really kind of wide, flexible variety of things you can do. And we're definitely a growing solution. We've got customers like CBS, AT&T, Time Warner, Epic Games. So, you know, Fortnite's the most popular game in the world right now, and they're using CodeFresh to build and deploy some of the services around that. Back when we had sporting events, <laughs> March Madness, you know, all of those streaming was powered with software that's built and deployed using CodeFresh. So we have a really killer customer set that includes even retailers like Gap, Old Navy, those kinds of folks. So that's kind of our tool set. We focus on people that want to adopt cloud-native tools, that want to use Kubernetes and those kinds of things. How would somebody consume this? Are you selling it as SaaS? Do they install this on their on-prem? Is it cloud-based? We do have a SaaS offering and we do have an on-prem offering. So you can install it on-prem and manage it that way and you can do the SaaS and manage it that way. But the thing that's actually much more interesting is what we've been calling hybrid. And really you should think of it as the default way that people do CodeFresh on-prem. You install this runner on a Kubernetes cluster. It could be on a single node cluster on your laptop. It could be a Kubernetes cluster sitting on GCP. It could be sitting in your bare metal cluster in your data center. And this actually provides the backbone of a scalable workflow service for running builds or for doing deployments or for managing artifacts or running tests. And that runner, that CodeFresh runner connects to the CodeFresh SaaS, but it keeps everything private to the runner. So you can see build status or workflow status or things like that just from the UI, but the code and components and things, those all stay on the network. So it really is the default on-prem option that people do at CodeFresh, but you manage it as though it's part of a single control plane. Even if you've got lots of different cloud infrastructure, lots of different on-prem infrastructure, we also see people with intermittently connected infrastructure. So I don't know if you have seen this, 
and this is taking hybrid kind of to the extreme, but container ships, giant boats in the ocean, they actually run Kubernetes clusters to provide all the services for the boat because you need high reliability, right? If you need to start a turn 70 miles in advance, having a Kubernetes cluster actually providing the infrastructure services for your boat makes a lot of sense, but they don't really have an internet connection or a good one when they're out there. So they can roll into port, get an internet connection, and then those workflows can actually kick off. I've heard of the same concept in terms of data management, but in terms of taking data off environments where, you know, you you drop into port or you get a good connection and then that's the time when you're effectively downloading all of your telemetry data or whatever else. But I've not heard of it as a way to push applications back out again. If you want to update the deployments that are running on that Kubernetes cluster on that boat, then having a workflow system like this where it's basically this hybrid runner and you'll be able to see it from the control plane. Oh, okay, this thing is connected and running and it's got these workflows that are executing and it's updating the services for the applications to actually run this thing. That's kind of an extreme use case. (laughs) I guess that's quite a good use case because if you've got an intermittent connection, there are going to be times when things work and things don't and you might have to roll back and you might have to make sure you've checkpointed some of those updates so you need to be able to absolutely audit exactly how far you've got down the process. And that's what you're adding, I guess, is the value of your platform. The platform really is ease of creating these pipelines, right? Because it's container-based. It's like, okay, I'm not writing a bunch of bash scripts that are going to be very hard to maintain and are flaky. I'm actually using purpose-built images to do each job, each component. I've got visibility into all my runtimes. I can basically look at a runtime and click on it and see what code change is currently deployed. I can do rollbacks. So there's a visibility aspect to it. And then there's just a management level aspect to it of, okay, well, I've got all this different infrastructure and I can deploy these runners and actually see the whole picture from one place. I don't have 50 or 100 or 1,000 different CICD instances. I have runners that are part of a single control plane. And that's giving you that view across hybrid environments. So if you are in that hybrid environment where you could be picking and choosing, it could be you're here one day somewhere else the next, or it could be making choices about deployment based on cost or based on uptime or you know availability of services. Because we know at the moment there are some vendors that are struggling to make sure they can make all of their services available all the time in every location. I guess you're seeing a consistent view across all those platforms, and you're not expected to understand the detail of each one that you're deploying into. That's right. So you can kind of abstract some of those things because you have this centralized control plane. And the problems that we're seeing right now, and I think actually this is something that we should be very well prepared for in the future. Certainly we're going through a big one-time event, but the idea that change isn't constant and change isn't unpredictable, well, that's just a counterfactual. I mean, that's just not the way the world is. So the ability to spin up and spin down, because both are actually critical. If you're thinking about like some services where it's like, okay, well, you had this infrastructure that cost you a million bucks a day, but that's fine because it generated 20 million bucks a day. And all of a sudden things change and all of a sudden, okay, well, actually we can only generate a million bucks a day. I need to scale this infrastructure down to match in order for it to be functional. Okay, well, how do I do that? I need that hybrid infrastructure, right? I need that scalability component. Okay, well, what if something happens to this data center where things are running? How quickly can I actually fall back on my on-prem services and provide the infrastructure that's needed? Okay, well, it's available and now the demand is spiking. Do I have a way to scale up that infrastructure using those cloud resources? That's a whole trend. I mean, you can see that Google's working on, they've got Anthos that they've been heavily investing in. 
you've got a, a lot of hybrid thinking out there and it's very much, I think the next wave of things now that we've, we've kind of figured out Kubernetes for the most part, <laughs> some people are I'm sure laughing at home, but for the most part, since we figured that out, it's time to start working on that hybrid problem. Perfect. So why don't we go on and talk then? I think we've got a good idea of, you know, the problem we're trying to solve, what your technology is doing. Why don't we go and talk about some of the things you've seen with customers that you've actually worked with and how this has actually changed what they've done? This might be an odd example. I always like using sort of the extreme cases to explain the whole because you get the whole picture, right? One of the problems with hybrid infrastructure is how you deal with caching. For example, what a lot of people will do is, okay, I've deployed my build infrastructure onto a Kubernetes cluster, but every time it spins up a pod, I now have this like empty workspace. And so I go to do my build and it takes way longer because it has to repull all the assets, right? So they'll say, okay, well, no problem. I'll just create some sort of network storage situation and I'll just attach everything to that network storage. Well, network attached storage, as we know, is also not the fastest storage, right? It's the least efficient in terms of IO, right? So we have this customer hover. They gave a talk at KubeCon back when we had those last year. What they did is they had been using that kind of legacy idea of this network attached storage, but they have a lot of IO in their builds. They're doing uh, some machine learning stuff. And so they actually would really benefit from a local SSD. So the way that the CodeFresh infrastructure works is when a job actually starts, it attaches, and this is dependent on where the hybrid agent is deployed, right? That CodeFresh runner, if it's deploying into a place where you have a local SSD, it'll take advantage of it. It'll actually mount a local SSD, and then it will use a network-attached storage mechanism to fill the cache, but then all the I.O. will actually operate onto the local storage. So what does that mean? Well, what that means is a couple of things. First off, no matter where my build is happening, I'm going to be able to take advantage of cache. So even if I run this on my local laptop, I will actually get the cache distributed to my local laptop, and then I will still get the local disk I.O. for running my build. So from a performance standpoint, what Hover saw is they had pipelines that would take over an hour and a half to execute. And when they moved it onto CodeFresh, those times went under 15 minutes or 12 minutes, I believe. So that's a significant difference then. Yeah. And if you add that up, and we actually built a calculator for this, if you add that up and you say, well, okay, well, I've got 100 engineers. If I have five builds a day per engineer and I can cut five minutes off of my average build time, I'm going to save, I think it's in the order of a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, just in time, right? And it's things like this when you look at environments where you've got many people deploying, where you're running many releases or you're running all sorts of you know repeat tests. Those changes can actually add up to a significant impact in terms of time to market or people's costs that are probably not always really that obvious. So sometimes people will be like, well, you know, I cut five minutes. Did I actually save that much money? And they'll say, well, you know, during that five minutes, I was going to get a drink of water anyway, or, you know, I needed a break. But it actually cuts the other way too, right? Because if something takes unexpectedly long, oftentimes people do take a break, but then they take a longer break or they have to context switch and that takes them a longer time. I was actually at a company one time I was visiting a friend for lunch at a, this is a big famous company. And next to him, there was a workstation that had two computers on it, two full sets of keyboards. And I was like, whoa, this guy 
who do you work with over here that's so efficient that they're coding on two keyboards at the same time? And he's got, you know, one in each hand. He said, yeah, well, he needs to start a build every once in a while. And it takes over an hour. And so once he starts a build, he just switches over to the other machine. Yeah, that's not ideal. But I guess, you know, it's a workaround to get around that problem, but it's not great. So you could build a distributed build infrastructure that's efficient and fast, or you could issue every engineer several laptops. Yeah, definitely not practical. What about an example in the hybrid context, in terms of where people have started to use something that's gone across platform that's really had some benefit to them? So actually, in this use case I explained with Hover, shows you how that distributed caching system works. Now, Another customer who uses hybrid infrastructure is Gap, Old Navy, Gap, you know, the clothing company. They have a huge engineering organization. They have tons of developers and obviously a lot of backend services that they're working and building super critical stuff. So they actually use Azure for their cloud provider. They have on-prem services as well. So they actually use CodeFresh in hybrid capacity with the CodeFresh runner running across these different components. and for their engineers' benefit, they're just writing code and pushing it. And the automation infrastructure is taking care of the complexity of moving across networks, deploying to these different locations, moving the cache to where it needs to be so that those times are efficient. So they don't really have to deal with the question mark of what's happening or understanding the complexity of what's going on underneath the sheets You've got your kind of site reliability engineers, your architects who care about that stuff. But from an engineering perspective, it's just, hey, I wrote code, my tests run, it spins up instances of infrastructure where it needs and runs tests against those things. And then it can do these advanced deployments like Canary releases so that I have total faith and reliability that these deployments are going to operate without a problem. And I'm going to be confident. It's funny, I was listening to something else earlier today, and this was related to another company that the guy himself happened to be a developer of infrastructure, this was, rather than specifically applications. But one of the things he said was that developers just don't want to wait. You know, they want what they want, and they want to get on with it, and waiting five seconds is too long for somebody to give them something to allow them to continue to do their job. And it sounds to me like that's a great example of that simplification where it takes away that need to think about the next step. And, you know, all you're doing is doing what your job is to do is to write that code and write it efficiently and move on. Totally. I mean, you want to be focused on your task. You know, I've always been interested in like the infrastructure components, which is why I clomped onto Kubernetes so hard. And, you know, as I'm talking to you, I'm actually staring. I've got on my desk, I've got a desktop cluster I built using Atomic Pies and Raspberry Pi and stuff. And I've been working on. So that kind of infrastructure interest I'm shocked how many developers don't know anything about infrastructure. But the truth is, once you have that abstraction of something like Kubernetes, you don't necessarily need to know a whole lot about it. And that's a benefit because they can just focus on their job. And you're right. If you get delayed by something, it has a cascading effect that's so huge. And even down to just developers looking for other jobs. One of the things I always hear from Google engineers who, after they leave, is that they miss the infrastructure that they had to make their jobs easy to write code compared to what they, oh, wait, I have to go way down the stack to deal with this stuff. I have to go like figure out these pipelines and, oh my gosh, really? You know, that's an interesting point you make, but let me just point out that 30 years ago, I said I was writing COBOL. Well, 
I think I did COBOL writing for about six months before I decided I didn't want to do that. And I ended up doing something in the operation side of things. And what was really fascinating was that 30 odd years ago, even then, the developers still didn't understand how the infrastructure worked. And most of the time they didn't have to care because they just submitted their job to be compiled. And as long as it worked, they were happy. But when it went wrong, they a lot of the time had no idea why it went wrong. So it doesn't sound to me like the requirements for developers have changed much in 30 years. Yeah, that's a good point. The nice thing is that there's less reason now. I mean, you can now abstract enough that people can really focus on their areas. And with automation, automatically checking these things and testing them, then you're in pretty good shape. Dan, that was fantastic. So if people want to go and learn a bit more about CodeFresh, where should we point them? Go to CodeFresh.io and you can create a free account. You can try out that CodeFresh runner that I talked about. You can just go install it on your local machine. You can install it on cloud infrastructure and try it out and uh, see just how effective it can be. Great. Well, thanks for your time. Really appreciate it and look forward to catching up again soon. Thank you. Take care. You've been listening to the Hybrid Cloud Podcast from Architecting IT. For show notes and more, subscribe at hybridcloudpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at Architecting IT or join our LinkedIn group by searching for Architecting IT. You can find us on all good podcatchers, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify.